Amen. If you have your copy of Scripture, we're in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 this morning. We're looking at verses 1 through 11 of Jonah chapter 4. Just a reminder, we have used a book by Sinclair Ferguson called Man Overboard, kind of as a launching pad for this um, series of messages, and uh, you can order that from Banner of Truth Publishing if that's something that you want to want to look at or, or order, um, or you can come in and say, Pastor, how do I get this book, and I'll help you out. But anyway, um, this is our last sermon in the book of Jonah, so we are going to end it with this sermon, and next week we will uh, start into the book of Hebrews. So if you want to read ahead of time, you can uh, start to read the book of Hebrews, and uh, that's where we were, will be heading next week. I'm in the book of Hebrews, unless, of course, something changes. But Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should it, or should I not, pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, Jonah prays, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This message I've titled God's Love for His Servants. Now I know that we read that and we think, well, you know, what do you mean God's love for his servants? This doesn't sound like a lot of love, and we'll get to that here in a few moments. And when we read Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, perhaps it comes to us as shocking. How could a man who had seen God's power in the way that Jonah had seen the power of God come to such suicidal tendencies in his life? Now, Jonah was not the only one in Scripture, as we read through Scripture, that's ever had these thoughts. The prophet Elijah had similar thoughts, but Elijah was 
different as Elijah had defended the reputation of God and he had been threatened with death. And he was at the point of exhaustion and needed rest. And the scripture says that Elijah was afraid in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. But Jonah is not really in the same vein as Elijah. Jonah is not merely depressed either. In fact, Jonah was arguing and angry with God. So what is the explanation for Jonah's behavior? Why does Jonah pray this prayer? Well, the explanation is fairly simple. God was bringing Jonah to the point that his heart is revealed. And in this case, what was in Jonah's heart comes out of his lips. As Scripture says, it's not what goes into your life that causes defilement, but what comes out of your heart. This is the very lesson that Jesus taught to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, verse 15. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. In the case of Jonah, God is driving out of him that same Pharisaical spirit that we saw Jesus deal with in the Pharisees, and it's a revealing of who Jonah really is. The Pharisees in their day were like a holiness movement within the Jewish church. And when it came to theology, the Pharisees, they were conservative. And when it came to moral issues, they were deeply concerned for moral purity. And when it came to Scripture, they were concerned with practical holiness. And they used personal piety uh, in order to secure their practical holiness. And by the time of Jesus... Many of the Pharisees had concentrated on the externals and the, and the practice of external holiness, and they had become um, a false religion. They were a farce to the point that Jesus called them whitewashed tombs filled with dead man's bones. You see, the Pharisees, Pharisees showed no grace for their fellow men and much of what we see in the Pharisees is what we see in the life of Jonah. Dare I say, what we see in the lives of Pharisees is also what we see in the life of many churches today. So concerned with orthodoxy and outward behavior and unconcerned with the work of God in the heart of people. The danger for professing Christians today is not that they do not know people are lost. We know people are lost. The danger for professing Christians is that we are indifferent to and ignorant of the true nature of the human heart. You see, we often look at outward behavior and established patterns of belief and it hides from us the true need that we have for a new heart which beats in sync with God's heart. We can't deceive ourselves or others into thinking that outward conformity to a group of norms or, or professions of faith, as we call them, or intellectual assent to some sort of orthodox doctrine are the same thing as a true heart knowledge of God. A love for the truth is not the same thing as a love for Christ. It is entirely possible to have a church even that is doctrinally right and that is spiritually dying on the inside. 
If we don't think so, all we have to do is fast forward in the Bible to the book of Revelation chapter 2 and we see the church at Ephesus is exactly that church. They were doctrinally right, but they had left their first love, which was Jesus Christ. And this should serve as a warning to all Christians who are concerned with doctrine and who are concerned with moral behavior that they mean nothing if we leave our first love. Having good doctrine is biblical. Living a moral life is biblical. But they are not the only issues, nor are they the main issues. There is another issue. You see, proper doctrine and a moral life should spring from and even lead to a present experience of fellowship with and knowledge of who God is. Jonah is discovering how it was possible to experience and even to accomplish things for God and yet have areas of his life untouched by the grace of God. And as we look at Jonah, we could say that he was a missionary because that is exactly what he was. He went to another land to share the gospel. He was taken out of his normal context. He worked under the pressures he had never faced before, and he was frustrated by a future completely different than his. These things can and often do bring out the worst in a person. Sensitivities that they never knew they had arise. Things that we are able to hide in our normal Christian environment suddenly are brought to the forefront. There are many a missionary that feel called to go on the mission field who have high expectations and they have great aspirations and they feel they're going to go in the go and win the world for Jesus in their life and they're going to go and teach a people that do not know the gospel and they find out in the process that God is doing a work in sanctifying them. And he is doing a work in their call to the mission field. And their call to the mission field was just uh, not only about the sanctification of the people that they were going to, but their call to the mission field was more about their sanctification than it was the people that they're going to reach. And you see, sometimes when we find ourselves in an uncomfortable culture or an uncomfortable situation, we discover just how narrow-minded and prejudiced and, and conceited and prayerless and fruitless and uncooperative we really are in our hearts. Our heart is revealed when we find ourselves confessing, like Robert Murray McShane said, the seeds of all sin are in my heart, and perhaps all the more dangerously that I do not see them. This is Jonah. And it gives to us one of the main lessons of Christian service, and that is this. When God has called us to ministry, and we have perhaps fulfilled our ministry and even seen fruit, God is not finished yet. The task is not done. You know why? Because God is still dealing with the servant. He is more concerned about the servant than he is about the service. Because God has a deep love for the servant. So I want us to look at Jonah and I want us to see several elements of his life that are revealed to us. And these elements reveal to us God's love for his servants, but they also review a few other things to us this morning. First of all, God's love is revealed through situations. God's love is revealed through situations. I know it may be hard 
to look at the situation that Jonah is in and see God's love revealed through it. But let's look at the situation. We've already seen that it was not the circumstances that Jonah found himself in that caused his dispute with God. However, those circumstances did provide a catalyst for his response to God. Those circumstances were like throwing a dry wood on the fire of sin that was in his heart. They, they do not give him an excuse, but they certainly do help us understand a little bit clearer of, uh, about Jonah's judgment and why he did certain things. His condition uh, was in part a reaction to his situation. Sometimes we think we can tell a lot about a person by how they act. And sometimes we say that. We say, well, you can tell a lot of pers- about a person by how they act. But I have found in, in my life, and you probably have too, that you can tell a lot more about a person by how they react. That's often a better gauge of where their heart is at. And I tend to be a, a person that reacts Sometimes not so positively. I'm a, I'm a reaction kind of person. So things happen and I just, I just react. That's just what I do. And you can tell a lot about me if you hang out with me very long by how I react to different situations and circumstances. Jonah was reacting. He was spiritually, mentally, and physically exhausted from the last few days. His exhaustion perhaps contributed to his behavior towards God. He had been on the run. He had been in a life-threatening storm. He had spent hours in the belly of a fish. And then he had a journey into Nineveh and preached the message that God had given him. It is, it is no wonder that he is emotionally spent and that he is jaded as he, as he gives out the message and as he sat Eventually, outside of Nineveh, exhaustion can wear out someone's sensitivity to God. And this is why we need to guard ourselves against exhaustion. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah went through something very similar. Listen to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20, 14-18. Cursed be the day on which I was born. That sounds great, doesn't it? Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon. Because he did not kill me in the womb. So my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out of the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? That is depressing. It's depressing. Here's the thing. We think of the situation of Jonah and all that he's went through. And it's easy to ask, how is God's love revealed? Let's turn our attention for a moment to the plant that God provided for Jonah because it served a dual function. First, God used the plant to speak powerfully to Jonah, which we looked at last week. But also, we see in the plant evidence of God caring for Jonah. Jonah needed the shade. He needed the rest. And God provided it for him. But God also knew what Jonah needed more. God, in his love, 
has a way of using our situations to take us right to the edge. And in this case, though God used the plant to give Jonah some shade and rest, God knew that rest without repentance is never adequate. And therefore, out of God's love for Jonah, God is guiding him into a place of repentance. That's God's love. He uses our circumstances sometimes to guide us to a place where we are at the end of ourselves and we realize our need for repentance. God's love revealed through situations, but God's love is also revealed in mystery. Before continuing on to look at how even in Jonah's rebellion, God's love is revealed, we need to notice the presence of the mystery of God in all of this. You know, man has spent a very long time trying to figure out God. But to no avail, because God is not really something to be figured out. How can we understand why we speak to and respond to God in certain ways? Did Jonah even understand what he was saying when he spoke to God the way he spoke to him? Why do we react to God in certain ways is beyond human diagnosis. This is why biblical preaching is vital and because God uses it through His Holy Spirit and the proclamation of His Word is there to meet our hidden needs. This is why preaching is actually a form of counseling. When God moves in great power, there are times that men are used in extraordinary ways and they may even seem to reach some extraordinary degree of godliness in their life. However, afterwards they appear to be very ordinary and very human. This would have been the case for Jonah. Jonah was used by God to bring a great revival to Nineveh. And perhaps he seemed super spiritual or, or super like a super godly person in his life. And there's an element of mystery to the fact that God revealed His love to Jonah and God reveals His love to Nineveh in an extraordinary way using a sinful prophet. God's love is often revealed to us in, in mystery. We, we just, we see it and we don't comprehend it. We don't understand it. We don't know how it got there or where it came from. Which leads us to the next series of points. Because I want us to see how sin and Satan tries to drive us away from God. So let's first see that Satan sows the seed of conflict. We can't deny the fact that Jonah's life is touched by Satan. The great reformer Martin Luther used to say this, The devil rode upon my back. He knew, that it was, he knew what it was like to be used mightily by God than to know what it was like to feel your desires and affections be turned in a direction that was hostile to the Lord. He knew what it was like to have the embers of sin being fanned into a flame when you least expected it. He knew he had to be on guard against it. This is part of the price we pay being involved in Christian work. Martin Luther knew that. How easily we forget that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against spiritual powers, how soon as we, we begin to make some sort of inroad into the kingdom of, of darkness and we think that we're actually accomplishing something, that there will be repercussions of great significance as Satan mounts his counterattack. 
In Jonah's case, he didn't even realize what he was doing. He didn't even realize what he had done. He didn't realize what he had done to Satan's kingdom. I mean, Satan had a grip on Nineveh. They're all lost. Here comes Jonah, this prophet, and he destroys it. This had to provoke jealousy in Satan. There was nothing he could do, but he certainly could make a wreck of God's instrument. Furthermore, Satan, though he can't read our mind and he couldn't read Jonah's mind, he would, uh, he would and he could have noticed that there was room in Jonah's heart for him to expose indwelling sin in the life of Jonah, and he goes to work. And Jonah had begun developing a distaste for God and his kingdom. And Satan goes to work sowing the seed conflict between Jonah and God. When a Christian develops a distaste for the kingdom of God, we should always ask who or what is causing it. Because at the heart of that distaste, you will always find Satan at work. So not only do we see Satan at work here, but we also see that Jonah's heart reveals the sin of prejudice. Jonah's heart reveals the sin of prejudice. As we look at Jonah's reaction to God, we must consider Jonah's ethnicity. Jonah was a nationalist. And Jonah was the worst kind of nationalist. Because he believed not only that he was to defend his own territory, but he also believed that he was to live for the benefit of his own kinsmen, but he also believed that in doing so, he could have a spirit of antagonism towards others, and he felt that God shared his attitude. And that's the worst kind of nationalist, when we feel like God shares our attitude. Jonah is not just homesick. He had been prepared to go to Tarshish without a whole lot of thought, but he hated Nineveh. He felt Nineveh should be barred from the grace of God. They didn't deserve God's grace. That's how we felt about Nineveh. They're just Gentile dogs. They're a bunch of losers. And the spirit of nationalism drove Jonah to antagonism against God and against his fellow men. Church, there's no doubt about it. Jonah was a racist. Plain and simple. As followers of Christ, there's nothing wrong with loving our kinsmen. And we are to express concern for their welfare as we saw the Apostle Paul do in Romans chapter 9. Paul did not allow his love for his kinsmen, though, to result in hatred of others. And when we come to that point, when we come to that point that our love for our fellow kinsmen results in hatred for someone else, that is a crime against both God and man. And let's not kid ourselves. We live in a period and time in our world where there is a worldwide upsurge in nationalism. It's very plainly evident in the United States, but it reaches everywhere. Too many people have lost their identity in other things, and so they turn to nationalism to find some roots. We see it all over the television. 
What is really silly is that this idea has crept into the church and into the body of believers. This very idea that of, of nationalism. And the church should be the first ones to disown sinful practices like that. We should be the first ones to say, no, we're not going to be any part of that. And it may be that we need to look deep at Jonah's experience and have it serve as a warning to us. Too often, churches are conditioned by their national environment rather than the word of the gospel. The prejudices that come to the surface in the waves of nationalism lie in the hearts of people at all times. You say, well, what do you mean by prejudices of Christians? What do you mean that Christians have prejudice? What do you mean that the Christians can be nationalists at times? Well, let me share with you what it means for a Christian to be prejudiced. And then I want you to ask yourself, am I ever this way? To be prejudiced as a Christian means to have judgments and opinions that are formed without the knowledge of the circumstances nor from the standpoint of God's Word in our lives. It means that we have judgments and opinions which are formed without the knowledge of the circumstances nor from the standpoint of God's Word. And what I am saying is that those prejudices can daily drive us from the love of other people and daily drive us away from service of God. I want you to stop and think for a minute. And ask yourself, do I have any prejudices? Am I like Jonah? With that definition in your mind, do I have judgments and opinions that are formed without knowledge of the circumstance and that are formed without a standing on God's word? So you make a judgment or you have an opinion or you think you got to say something or arrive at a conclusion about someone without knowledge of their circumstance. You have no idea about it, but you feel like you can make a judgment on that. Not based on God's word, but based upon just an opinion that you have without even knowing their circumstance. That's prejudice. Let me give you an example. Someone has HIV and you assume that they are either a druggie or they're promiscuous. That's prejudice. Someone has a tattoo and you assume that they're not a Christian or they're not following after the Lord. That's prejudice. Someone has multiple piercings and they they got to be trashy. That's prejudice. Someone's on food stamps. They must be lazy and not be able to not go out and look for a job. That's prejudice. Those are prejudice. You see, you come to a conclusion not based upon knowledge about their circumstance, but, but just based upon what you think. And listen, we can go on and on. Do you think that idea has crept into the church of, of the body of Christ? Absolutely. This is exactly the way Jonah was. And our prejudice needs to be exposed for what they are. It's sinful. Prejudice is just sinful. 
There's no, we can't be, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm excusing this. No, you're not excused in any circumstance if you come to a conclusion without knowledge of that circumstance and without being based upon the Word of God. It's just sinful, church. And it has to be exposed. And when we see that, we need to expose it. And when it is exposed, we must destroy it by the grace of God. This is where Jonah's at. You see, Jonah's prejudice was exposed and God's grace destroyed it. And we see this all through Scripture. All through Scripture. Prejudice exposed, God's grace destroys. Prejudice exposed, God's grace. How about the Samaritans? Let's read through the New Testament. Look at the, look at the Samaritans, those dogs, those filthy, rotten Samaritans. Prejudice exposed, God's grace destroys it. Which leads us to this. Our last point. Well, not our last point, but almost our last point. Sin has no excuse. Sin has no excuse. We can't excuse it. Have you ever said to someone, you have no excuse? You ever made that comment? It's the same way with Jonah. None of what we have looked at in the book of Jonah excuses Jonah's sinfulness. In the final analysis, his response to God was a sinful response. God cross-examined Jonah to bring him to, the, to his own senses and asked him, do do you do well to be angry, Jonah? In a sense, Jonah committed the same sin the Pharisees would later commit, a distortion of the grace of God into legalism. They, they made the unconditional love of God depend on restrictive conditions time and time again. The Pharisees did this. And that's what Jonah's wanting to do. Which, to put it simply, says, God loves you if you do certain things. Then God loves you. And that is so far from the truth that it's a disgrace to God. This is why Jesus had such conflict with the Pharisees because they continually destroyed the character of His Father, which was God, and they were a distraction and a detraction from His character as love itself. And Jonah was guilty of the same thing. Jonah wanted a God in his own narrow-hearted image. A God that had his own prejudices who would only come into fellowship with sinners under certain conditions. Additionally, Jonah knew that being a prophet of the living God was a costly way to walk. It means that he had to conform to the image of God who was willing to make of himself of no reputation in order to let Nineveh hear of his grace. Which means that Jonah would also need to make of himself no reputation to let Nineveh hear of God's grace. And so Jonah sat outside of Nineveh. Why wasn't he in Nineveh ministering to the people? Why wasn't he engaged with them? Jonah's now faced with the greatest decision of his life. Will he die to his own reputation? And this is a pressing question. You know why it's a pressing question? Because soon he's going to return to his own people. And he would face his own people. And he would give them the news that through his preaching, God had visited the camp of the Ninevites, the camp of their enemies. And God poured out his grace on the Ninevites. And a great revival broke out. And Jonah's reputation at that point would be ruined. What's more is his message to Nineveh was this. Yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown. But Nineveh still stood. 
Nineveh was still there. And it looked as if it was going to stand for a long time to come. So how did the Ninevites see Jonah? Perhaps Jonah wondered how long their repentance would last. He may have felt like he was stuck between a rock and a hard place. What would his reputation in Nineveh be? And what would his reputation in Israel be? Where will he turn? Jonah delivered the message to the Ninevites as a promise. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. And yet we have no record that God told Jonah to deliver it as a promise. More than likely, he was to deliver it as a warning. Jonah probably had all sorts of thoughts running through his head, but above all, he would not be able to shake this thought. The reputation of the God of grace in Nineveh necessitated the reputation of Jonah in Israel, or the loss of reputation of Jonah in Israel. You see, if Jonah's reputation gets elevated in Nineveh, he loses his reputation in Israel. And it's a pattern that we later see in the life of the Apostle Paul. The reputation of the God of grace among the Gentiles necessitated the loss of the reputation of Paul in Israel. But the blueprint for this very thing is found in one greater than either Paul or Jonah because we see it in Christ Jesus himself. When we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-8, through eight, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. What did he do? By taking on the form of a servant. He's being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The real question was this, will Jonah be willing to be like Christ? Will he die to self? This is the issue. Jonah is faced with this issue. And it's expressed in these anonymous words. The last enemy to be destroyed in the believer is self. It dies hard. It will make any concerns if only it is allowed to live. Self will permit the believer to do anything, give anything, sacrifice anything, suffers anything, goes anywhere, takes any liberties, bears any crosses, afflict affliction should and body to or afflict soul and body to any degree. Anything if self can only live. It will be content to live in a hovel, in a garret, in the slums, in a faraway heathendom, if only self can be, can be spared. You see, it's hard to destroy self. That's the heart of the matter, church. And it's always going to be the heart of the matter that we must die to self. Amy Carmichael said, Lord, crucified, O mark thy holy cross. On motive preference, all fond desires. On that which self in any form inspires, set thou that sign of loss. And when the touch of death is here and there, laid on a thing most precious in our eyes, let us not wonder, let us recognize the answer to this prayer. Sin has no excuse in the life 
of a believer. We must die to self. We must die to our prejudices. We must die to self, which leads to my final point this morning. And that's this. God is love. God is love. I want to take you back to that plant. God made it come up over Jonah that it might prove to be shade over his head and it was shade over his head. And what were the next words to save him from discomfort? You know, we said that there are themes throughout the book of Jonah that appear and this, this, is, this is really one of those themes and it's one of the last of them. That word for discomfort in the ESV or grief in the authorized version or misery in the New King James Version, that's the exact same Hebrew word used of the wickedness of the Ninevites in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2. It's the exact same Hebrew word used of the destruction which God had threatened on Nineveh in Jonah chapter 3 verse 10. Here's the thing, just as God protected Jonah through that plant, He had shown the same protection to Nineveh through His compassion and His grace. And it is very significant because it is the final echo of grace, of the grace of God that Jonah will hear. Everything's brought to a head by the destruction of this plant. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of it, and he felt pity when it died. He was so attached to the plant that, that he, he seems to be angry about its demise. Not just because it gave him shade, but because he had an interest in the plant. And, and he was deeply grieved and he's disappointed over its destruction. And then God breaks through and speaks one more time. Do you do well to be angry for the plant, he said? Yes, I do well. I can see Jonah. Yes, God, I do well. I'm angry. I'm angry enough to die. And then God speaks in a way kind of makes you shiver. Jonah didn't make the plant grow. Jonah, you didn't put forth any labor in tending this plant. It was a creature of the day. If you feel so much concern for this plant, what about the immortal souls of 120,000 people in Nineveh? who have been created in my image, Jonah, whom I've sustained in life to this very day, Jonah, whose destinies will forever be fixed by their response to your witness about me, Jonah. If you care about this plant, should I not care about the city, Jonah? And the implication for Jonah is clear and significant. Should you not also care Jonah, if you're angry enough to die because of this plant, should you not be compassionate enough to live for these people? The truth was that Jonah seemed by his action to care more about plants than he did people. And this, my friends, is a devastating critique of where Jonah is at spiritually. I don't want us to focus on Jonah for now. I want us to focus on us. 
Could this be said of us? In other words, do we care more about the items we have than we do our fellow men and women and the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them? Are we more concerned with our garden or what's in our garage or our home or whatever it might be than we are concerned with our fellow men? Do we care more about our own comforts and our own plans and our own this or our own that, whoever's going to win the ball game or what's for lunch today or whatever it might be? Are we so concerned with our things that we're not concerned about the evangelism of the world in our time? Now, it's actually fairly easy to see what the church typically cares about. We can see that most because we can just look at what they give to, what they pray for, and where they go. And it reveals the heart of the church and whether we are committed for the cause of Christ. And I fear that if we use those things, if we look at what the church gives to and what they prays for, what they pray for, and if we kind of examine those things and we use them as a measuring rod, we would be embarrassed as it would be a clear indicator that most of the churches of Christ really don't care about the lostness that they're surrounded with. You see, the church has the Jonah syndrome. Our Lord has commanded us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation, to every single creature. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Do we respond to this command from our Lord by doing it or by doing what Jonah did? Are we angry in our hearts that God would impose such a burden on us that He would impose on us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? You see, ultimately, we have to ask ourselves the same thing that God asked of Jonah. If God is concerned with those who do not know Him, can you and I really remain unconcerned with those who don't know Him? This closing chapter of the book of Jonah, it's mystery. It probably leaves us asking the question, what, what happened to Jonah? Because we don't know. The story is left unfinished. However, that's the whole point of the writing. We see it as a biography. It's set in a given time and a given place in history. However, it's more than that because it's also a parable. It is written in the same way our Lord's parables are. It is a powerful piece of history, but it also focuses us to have some introspection about our personal destiny. There is no conclusion because it calls out to us to write the final paragraph. It is unfinished so that we would come to our own conclusion to the message. You see, the point of this whole thing, the point of spending all these weeks in the book of Jonah and tracking through it, the whole point is this. You are Jonah. I am Jonah. We are Jonah. We read the story and we see ourselves in it and we all stand together in the need of the mercy of God to enable us for th from this day forward to be obedient to the commands of Christ and to live to the praise of His grace and to take His gospel despite sometimes our prejudices, despite sometimes our shortcomings, despite sometimes what we think and the conclusions that we draw, that we're called to take His gospel to a lost and dying world because we are all Jonah. And we must learn to say, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To His feet thy tribute bring. Ransom, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like thee His praise 
should sing. Praise Him for His grace and favor to our fathers in distress. Praise Him still, the same forever, slow to chide and swift to bless. Father-like, He tends, spares us. Well, our feeble frame He knows. In His hands, He gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him, praise Him, widely as His mercy flows. We must understand that in all God does, He is love. And ultimately, the outpouring even of His wrath would be an act of love from God. So here's a question for you. How will you write the final paragraph? You are Jonah. Will it read that you went back into the city and ministered to the people? Or will it read you stayed stuck in your prejudice and your nationalism that you refused to die to self and eventually you died your physical death without ever being obedient to the call of Christ? How will it read? You see, you're writing the story. Whether you're 10, whether you're 95, you're writing the story. It's about you. You're Jonah. How's that last paragraph going to read? This morning you may say, well, Pastor, I'm, I see myself as Jonah. Maybe in your heart of hearts, prejudice was revealed in your life this morning, and, and maybe you need to come and, and pray and lay those at the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Because it's sinful, church. And maybe this morning, for the first time, as we kind of walk through this, you see that you don't even know Jesus as your Savior, and you want to know more about that. Maybe the Lord's spoken to you in, in a different way. He's spoken to your conscience. I'm going to be standing right down front. I'd love to shake your hand. love to, to talk with you about whatever it is the Lord has laid on your heart, whether it's it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's baptism, church membership, whatever. Be standing right down front. If you've heard the Lord today, I pray that you would respond to Him. And if you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you this morning. Let's close with prayer. Father, I thank you.